Let's open your Bibles to Psalm 119. It's uh, just about in the center of your Bible there, uh, Psalm 119. This will be the last time uh, that we get to open up to Psalm 119 as we are concluding uh, our series on delighting in God's Word as we see it in Psalm 119 this week. And um, and so I, uh, I always have uh, mixed emotions when we conclude series and start to move on toward something else. But hey, next week we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, which we do by gathering on Sunday mornings. Uh, we often hear talk about the Sabbath, and, and that's wonderful and it's good. Uh, but as believers, on the first day, we uh, mark the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus. And so that's why we gather on Sundays as opposed to Saturdays, uh, you know, in our worship. But anytime the church gathers is good. I have a sibling who goes to a Saturday evening service and they worship Jesus just the same. And so it's it's wonderful. So I, I, I think if you and I were having a frank conversation, you know, those conversations, uh, sometimes you talk with people and uh, it doesn't seem as frank. You know, you're, you're getting through the, the motions of a conversation um, or whatever the case might be. But there are times you have those frank conversations and someone who uh, we're assuming we're believing the best of each other. Uh, you're having a conversation and, and, and someone says me to you or, or maybe you to me says, uh, so, hey, tell me what's your problem. Tell me what your problem is. Now, that, that's not said in a defensive posture. Man, what's your problem? It's not that way. But we're talking about life and we're talking about talking about difficulties. And we say, so tell me what the problem is. We'd probably answer something like this. The problem is it's everything, everyone, everywhere. It seems like all the time, except for me. No, if we're honest, we're saying I'm, the, I'm part of the problem too. And we see that throughout this psalm. Everything seems to be the problem. Other people are the problem. Princes, those, those in, in authority are the problem. Uh, people that are supposed to be part of the community of God seem are to be like part of the problem. I'm part of the problem. Everybody's part of the problem except one. And his name is God. You're going to hear that thread as we look at this passage this morning. Uh, we'll read together Psalm 119, verses 161 through 176. And you'll see that Hebrew, uh, the, the second to last letter of the Hebrew alphabet there, Sin and Sheen. Now, Pastor Matt, none of us know Hebrew. Why are we saying these letters every time we read the text? Simply for this. Number one, they're part of the original text. Number two, uh, the psalmist wrote this as an acrostic, as a way to help the people of God as they're walking together and living life together, and at times very literally traversing to uh, a, uh, a point of worship together, as a way to help them remember God, remember truths of the faith that they need to keep in mind. This is the ABCs of the faith, if you will, all the way through the Hebrew Bible. So we read these, we say these letters each time to remind ourselves, you know what? God's people are devising particular ways to remember the truths of God in order that they might hide God's word in their heart, that they might not sin against God, verse 105 of this Psalm tells us. So Sheen, princes, persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and I abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. 
My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. Tav. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray. Like a lost sheep, seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Today we're going to see that hope and peace uphold those who love God for his word. Hope and peace uphold those who love God for his words. I said a few minutes ago, if we were having a frank conversation and we're honest with each other, we would all agree that it seems like trouble comes from all sides. Trouble comes from all sides. Let's, let's categorize that uh, just in, in a summary. They come from all, all sides, externally and internally. Externally, others persecute believers for loving God's word. At the end of the day, people don't really care if you obey God's word as long as it doesn't impact them and their life, their beliefs, or conviction. You start talking with people about God. Usually not a problem. Most people are okay with conversation about God. As soon as you introduce something exclusive, like the psalmist knew of, and as New Testament believers, like we know today, that all break God's laws, and the only way that we're able to have a relationship is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which was a, which was a, a penal substitution. In other words, he paid a penalty... That had to be paid for sin. God doesn't do an end run around sin. He would not be God if he did. He wouldn't be holy if he did. So he went right down through the middle and he paid the penalty that needed to be paid for every transgression. And those who who turn to him in faith, that means believing that Jesus is the only way for us to have a relationship with God the Father. It means acknowledging that I am a sinner. Not somebody who just makes mistakes. Mistakes don't require forgiveness or punishment. Sin requires forgiveness, punishment. And when we start talking about this stuff with other people, they start to get a little nervous. They got ants in their pants, and they're a little bit like, oh, now hang on, now you're making me uncomfortable. You're like, well, I'm just telling you about why I love the Lord Jesus. Well, yeah, but by telling me that you love the Lord Jesus because... He paid the penalty for your sin. Infers that I also need someone to pay the penalty for my sin. Well, okay, yeah, that's true. And that's where things get hairy. In in Old Testament times, people who would follow God's law, who would work hard to, as we might say, walk on the straight and narrow, but the psalm says, I love your law. I want to follow your law. I want to walk on the path of righteousness for your name's sake. Well, that's not very convenient for other people too. And so they're persecuted for it, and, they, and they're lying about him. They're, they're speaking falsehoods about him. So others persecute believers for loving God's word. He says in verse 163, he abhors falsehood, but 
Love God's law. When you're reading the Bible, look for things like contrasts, right? Uh, look for comparisons. And you'll see uh, some emphases that writers of Scripture are sort of drawing out for you, right? These are things that we don't often think about because we speak like this in a normal, everyday kind of way. But he's saying, I hate falsehood. I abhor it. But I love your law. We experience this. Other people gossiping about you or, or lying about you, which would be slander. Uh, just to clear up some confusion. If you're talking about someone else and it's all true, but it's not for their good, it's called gossip. If it's untrue, it's called slander. So sometimes people say, well, I'm just talking about somebody and it's not for their good. That's a key distinction. But Because we all talk about other people in different contexts. But if it's not for their good in order to build someone up, it's called gossip. But Pastor Matt, it's true. Mm-hmm. That's what gossip is. So they're gossiping about him. They're lying about him. And we experience this in a lot of ways in our own lives. You might experience it at work. You might experience it here in the church. You might experience it in Christian community, in, 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 the, in the non-Christian community, a lot of different places. In your neighborhood, Jesus experienced it. You know, today's Palm Sunday. It's the day of Jesus' final entrance into Jerusalem. And, and as he would come through the gates, they would lay palm branches in front of him and they would say, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we love that picture of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem, the beginning of what we refer to now as the Passion. It was only days later, and let's just be clear, it has already been previously going on, but it's like a window in time here where people are, are, are praising Jesus. Sometimes it seems popular to be a Christian. There are times it's popular to pray. I remember a, a football player not long ago got injured on the football field, or we see it in sports sometimes. All of a sudden, everybody wants to pray. Now, I praise God for that. Because I look at that and I say, man, people who just walk around day after day uh, defaming the name of God and talking about how they don't need anything from God and I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps, all of a sudden, they realize, oh, no, I can't. I got nothing when it comes to this. And that's good. That's good. But notice the inconsistency. right? Don't, don't let that be, be lost on you. And so the crowds lay palm branches down for Jesus, and, 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 and all four of the Gospels tell us this. But it wasn't long before the celebration dissipated, and the scheming, probably even while that was happening, was continuing on in the background. And those who were plotting against Jesus just knew they just had to be patient, knew they just had to wait their time. We've seen this culturally. Times when it's not popular anymore to follow God. Times when it comes at great personal cost. We saw this tragically in Nashville recently. And I mean, I could go on and on and on with the examples. You experience this in your own life. Jesus experienced it in his. But not only do we experience trouble or, or difficulty externally from others, we also experience it internally. Right? We, we willingly go astray as we fail to keep God's word. We resonate with, with Paul. And you're going to hear me a lot uh, alternating between Old Testament and New Testament a whole lot today. Because we're, we're learning from the Old Testament saints. But we are experiencing these realities in our own time after the cross. As those who, many of you in this room who have 
turned from yourself and are trusting in the Lord Jesus. And so the Apostle Paul wrestled with this, and we see this play out in Romans. I don't have time to even really dig into that passage very much, but, but we see it. He says, the psalmist here, at the end of this psalm, the very last verse of this entire psalm, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. These two sections are, are bookmarked with the reality that he needs God's help. Externally from others, verse 161, princes persecute me, and internally I have gone astray, verse 176. So what's the answer to the internal struggle? Well, the psalmist battled to live for God's law, God's promises. You may remember from the beginning of our study, eight words that are repeated throughout this psalm. And, and each word draws out a little different aspect of God's word, God's promises, God's law, God's rule, God's commandments. So we're getting a full-orbed picture of what God's word is, God's law is. And so he's reminding us that this is a struggle. This is an internal battle. And he goes astray time and again. Notice how he's reminding us how hard he's seeking to follow the Lord out of genuine love for the Lord. Now listen, this is not a man following a, a dictator that he doesn't really care about or that he doesn't think cares about him. And there's no relationship, but he's just trying to avoid punishment. And so... You know, God, I'm following your law. I'm following your law so that I don't receive the anger from your hand of punishment or judgment. That's not his motive. It's part of the equation, but it's not his motive. His motive is because he knows who God is. He's seen how faithful God is, and he loves God. He's, 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 he's attested to and he's tested to the reality that God's ways are best. God's righteous rules are good for us. I mentioned this last week in our Membership Matters Sunday School class. There's a, a study called uh, the Playground Study, and essentially they, they built two, uh, two playgrounds, or one playground, uh, but near highways. And uh, when there was no fence around the playground, all the kids, you know, the playground structures that are there, right? All the kids would sort of congregate pretty close to that playground structure. They could hear the noise of cars Zooming by, even though it was a very safe distance, no children were harmed in the, this study, right? And they would all kind of congregate pretty close to the playground structure. And then the study was done again with a fence, a wide fence. And you know what happened? Some kids were playing by the playground structure, but they were also out all, all onto the very end of the fence. And you can look at that one of two ways. You can say, oh man, look at all the green grass in the field out here that they can't play on. Or you can look at it and say, oh look, they're playing as far from what they know to be sure and comfortable in that playground structure. They're right out up to the fence. Isn't it wonderful they can use all that space to play? And that's how walking with God is when you recognize that God gives us rules and boundaries and guidance that are intended to give us purposeful freedom in this life. 
God told Adam and Eve, you can eat of any tree except this. What did they want? The one thing. Isn't that so like us? The struggle's internal. Because, because day in and day out, we, we tend to want what God doesn't deem to be best for us. The psalmist is, is doing what Paul does in, in Philippians 2.12. He's working out his salvation, if you will, with fear and trembling. There's a real sense that if I misstep here, I face God's discipline, God's judgment. But if I walk with the Lord, I, I experience fellowship with him. I experience the joy of loving boundaries. And what do you know? They're right. I find them over and over again to be true and right every single time. It's important for us to, we see this through sort of this Pauline lens. The Apostle Paul wrote about this in Galatians. So, and this is sort of expanding what I talked about just a minute ago. The psalmist is striving to obey God's word. And, and yet there's a real sense in which he knows he can't. But, but in his day, Jesus had not yet been born. He knew a Messiah was coming, but he had not yet come. And so you'll see the psalmists, the Old Testament saints, will talk with the Lord differently than we do. We often start with, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. I mean, that's usually one of the first things out of the gates, out of my mouth when I pray, because I know if it weren't for Jesus coming to earth and living perfectly and dying a death on the cross that I should die each and every day, I sin in a way that deserve, means that I deserve death. And so I'm very thankful every time I think of Jesus and I know he paid not just a random penalty, he paid my penalty. If you're in Christ, he paid your penalty. In a very real sense. And Paul affirms this in Galatians 2.16. He says, yet we know, he's talking about his Jewish heritage. And so he says, Jew or Gentile, we know that a person isn't justified, which means made right with God in a judicial sense. We know that a person's not justified by works of the law, but, see the contrast, but a person is made right with God. That's me just inserting that back in through faith in Jesus Christ. And now he goes on to share some testimony in order that we may be justified or made right with God by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Even for Old Testament saints, Jesus had to come and pay the penalty. Now they wouldn't have prayed the prayer like we pray the prayer today. Father, thank you for sending your son. They didn't know what all that meant. They knew a deliverer was coming. And so they were always looking forward in, the, in a similar way to you and I looking forward today to the, to the return of Jesus for his people. And so we know that trouble comes from all sides, externally, internally. We'll never keep the law. And we're, we're not saved by keeping the law because we can't. And so while trouble comes from all sides, persistently loving God for his word brings hope and peace. God provides the means for you and I to be upheld by hope and peace. Now hang on to that. Sometimes we think that our goal is to pursue hope. 
Our goal is to pursue peace. Our goal is to pursue whatever the effect really is. Right? We think about behaviors in our life. You've heard me say this before. It's not original with me, but behaviors in our life. We know our life needs to change. So what do we do? We change the fruit. We try to change the effect of what is actually the effect of what's growing out of the root system and the nourishment that that tree is bearing. But you try to take that behavior and staple it onto this tree that is not walking in faith, this tree that's not believing God. Well, the moment you sever that root from that branch, it starts to die. Immediately, it starts to rot. You can staple it on your tree, staple it on your tree all you want. And you, you know what you're going to find? A life of seeking and stapling, finding and stapling. It is exhausting, friends. It's exhausting. <laughs> So we're not just after hope and peace as though we conjure it up of ourselves. God's given us the means. God's word, a relationship with God, right? So this wording on point number two, loving God for his word brings hope and peace. Now you might challenge me on that and say, now wait a minute, Pastor Matt. Aren't you supposed to love God for who he is alone and not loving God for his word? kind of went back and forth on how to word this point, but this is important because in a sense, yes, we love God for who he is, but we know nothing of God without his word. God's word spoke creation into existence. So you say, well, can't tell me I don't know anything about God without his word because we've got creation. Well, yes, but creation doesn't tell us about the Lord. It doesn't tell us about, excuse me, it doesn't tell us about Jesus. And even to, to further punctuate the point, creation wouldn't have come into being without God's word. So God's word brings creation into being through which we see God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature. So what's the answer? I already said it. His word brought creation into being. So hope and peace come from understanding this from a right perspective, right? Verse uh, 161, he says, princes persecute me without cause, but... My heart stands in awe of your word. My heart stands in awe of your word. It's impossible to separate God from his word. We see it in two ways. One, through the Bible or moving from general revelation, talking about creation, to special revelation, which is the word of God. All of the divine words that we need for everything in this life what we refer to as special revelation. We don't need any new words from God. We have everything that we need from the Lord. Listen to Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But, contrast, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. He used to speak to us this way, but now he speaks to us through Jesus, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom he also created the world. He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power or by the power of his word. After making purification for sins... 
he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. John 1 tells the same story about Jesus becoming the word of God. So verse 164 in Psalm 119, he says, seven times a day I praise you for your righteous rules. Righteous, he's making a, uh, he's affirming that what God says, all of the rules from God, all of the laws, all of the commandments are righteous. That means they're good. Uh, They're the best good. They are right in every way. Judicially, there is nothing wrong with God's words. Nothing that he says ever uh, does not come true. That is a bad grammatical way of saying that, but it's true. So seven times a day, that's just a, a cultural way of saying repeatedly. Repeatedly, I praise you for your righteous rules. Only God's righteous rules bring salvation. Only God's righteous rules lead you in the way that brings hope and peace. And when we have hope and peace, we rejoice in the Lord. You see, so hope and peace come through abiding in God, through his word. It's the effect or it's the result of walking with the Lord. If you seek hope and peace without abiding in Christ, you will never find hope and peace. You will be manufacturing it over and over again. Fruit stapling hope, fruit stapling peace over and over again. And you'll be exhausted. You'll be exhausted in this life. And he says in 162, he says, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. That's the focus of this point here, rejoicing in the Lord. Imagine you've been searching for hope in this world, hope in your life, hope in this, these dark times when your friends, when your enemies, when your, your family members are mocking you, when, when authority figures seeming, seem to be coming at you breaking their own rules, deceitfully coming at you. You're looking for purpose in this world. Why am I here? Why do I exist? He's like, there's falsehood all around me. There's deceit all around me, but I love your law. It's the antithesis of everything that is untrue. Your word is truth. And God gives us the means. He gives us the means for salvation, hope, and peace in this world. I need you to take that in. Actually, you need you to take that in. God gives us, he provides the means for salvation, for hope, and for peace. Second Peter 1, 3 through 11, I, I reference this passage often because there's so much in it, but it says, his divine power, and this is written to believers in enduring persecution, knowing more persecution is coming. God's divine power is granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his very precious and great promises, so that through them promises, you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That's that external trouble, internal trouble. And he says, so for this reason, make every effort, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and your virtue with knowledge and and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. For if... 
Notice that's conditional statement. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, say that again, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, confirming your calling. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sometimes we have a sort of a, a cognitive dissonance, dissonance when we read uh, Psalm 119 and other passages like it. We see the psalmist going after the Lord with all he's got. We see him saying, I, every day I strive to walk in your ways. I love your law. And we think, that's not how it feels in my heart all the time. I do love the Lord, but I find that I'm not always striving like I need to be striving. I keep your precepts and testimonies for all my ways are before you. That's 168. He's saying like, Lord, open me up. See, I keep your precepts, your testimonies. Does that mean that the psalmist was perfect? Certainly not. No one's ever been perfect except the man Jesus Christ, the God-man Jesus Christ. But what he's saying is this. Yahweh, if you take not just a snapshot, not just a, a photograph, not just a selfie of a moment in my life where I sinned. If you look at the video strip, sure, there's going to be some snapshots in there that I'm not proud of. There's some struggle in there I'm not proud of. But if you look at the overarching flow of the narrative of my life, or my life since 20, or 14, or 45, God, you'll see that I love you. And we as believers are able to pray that. Not to pray, God, I'm perfect. Save me because I'm perfect. Look, open up my life and you'll see it. I don't do anything wrong. No, we say, God, I love you. And I'm, I'm going hard after you, but I fail. Thank you so much for Jesus. Open up my heart, Lord, and, and see that I'm trusting not in myself, not in myself keeping the law, but that I'm trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for my salvation. You know, we talk about the hypothetical question. If you get to heaven one day and the Lord says, well, hey, welcome. Why should I let you in? Jesus. And it's amazing how often I talk to even believers who I believe are genuine Christians, but... who would often begin that sentence with, well, because I... Or Jesus plus... Well, I believe in Jesus and I was baptized, but I've tried to live a good... Dead in the water. No. Jesus plus nothing. Why should I let you into heaven? You shouldn't. Well, actually, he should, because Jesus paid the price, and God is just. Jesus. Your friend says, well, how do you know you're going to 
go to heaven one day, Jesus. I mean, you've got to get there eventually, so why not lead out? Sharpen the tip of that sword and lead. Continue. Follow through with Jesus. So what's, what's the Christian living on this side of the cross do? Well, we've talked about it some. We're acknowledging, point three, our dependence on the Lord. We're acknowledging our dependence on the Lord. We see this in the psalmist all throughout the psalms. We see it in plenty of times in Psalm 119. The psalmist wasn't nearsighted like, like Peter warned the believers. Don't, don't forget that your power comes from God and is found in Christ. Don't forget. Don't turn away from the basic things. That was his message to the church in Galatia. Ask for God's help. How many of you are too proud to ask for someone's help? I mean, I can ask the question a different way and get you all to start telling on each other. I mean, you guys rat each other out like nobody's business. Right? You ready? Let's talk about directions. Let's talk about fixing things in the house. Let's talk about... Now you're all sweating. You're not even going to listen to anything else I say. You get the idea. Our pride runs deep. Our pride runs deep. And we'd rather prove ourselves to God than allow God to prove himself to us. God, I can do this. Brother or sister, I can do this. No, you can't. Not on your own. Not without God's help. Not without the help of the body of Christ. And so he, he conclu concludes toward the end of uh, 169 and 70. He says, let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. Friend, God has given you the means to have understanding. God has given you the means for salvation. God has given you the means for hope and for peace in this life. But you must take him up on his means. You must take him up according to his ways, not according to your own. How's your, how's your Bible reading time? How's your, how's your prayer time? Well, you know, I, I talk to the Lord when I'm doing this and I'm, I talk. Okay, those all sound like your hands are busy and your eyes are busy. I talk to the Lord when I'm driving to work and when I'm driving home. Praise God. Talk to him all the time. When are you opening your Bible and putting your face in the word when there's nothing else going on? Now, that question is intended to sort of drive a dagger into all of our hearts. But you don't need to be hopeless there. It's not intended to bring shame or conviction. The message we're seeing from the psalmist over and over again is, I delight in God. And so I delight in his word. Now, guys, we might not walk around and be like, hey, how's your time in the word? Man, I really delight in God's word. But we might be like, you know what? I needed it today. My life's falling apart. I need the Bible. I need God. I'm still figuring out what, it, what it's like to read it and understand it. And that's not just men, but we don't always get all passionate about it and teary-eyed as we start talking about God's word. But as men, 
and women grow in their own humility, their own posture, because this is about posture. Develop their posture for the Lord and his word. Yeah, sometimes eyes get a little teary as we're talking about God's faithfulness. And so he says, similar to 164, where he said, seven times a day, seven times a day, verse 171, my lips will pour forth your praise for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word for all your commandments are right. Well, I'm not a singer. Well, Christian people are singers. I know some people are more musical than others. It's not that conversation, but when God saves us, we become singers. We become praisers. We become talkers uh, about the one who has done glorious things for us. In fact, those who don't talk that much find new words, new ways to speak more frequently. It's not a competition of personalities. I want to close with this. Psalm 119, 1 and 2 begin with, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. It's about posture. Blessed, blessed. In the New Testament, it would be akin to the Beatitudes. And so I don't know if you're a note taker or if you're distracted or if you're ready for me to stop talking, whatever the case might be. I just want to ask you to close your eyes and just listen. Now, when I say blessed, it's another word for happy or another word for happy in Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, those who exhibit strength under control, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, thirst, for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Friends, hope and peace uphold those who love God for his word. You're blessed. You're you're happy in Jesus. God's people are a, a, a reading people, a praying people, a, a meditating people. Now the world says meditating is emptying yourself. The Bible says empty, the meditation is filling yourself. We're, we're a praying people because we genuinely believe that the Lord will hear and answer our prayers according to his word. And his word is excellent on every level. 
We're praying people because we genuinely believe that the Lord will lead us according to his rightly understood promises. We're a praying people because we genuinely believe that the Lord has saved us and is saving us for a future yet to be revealed. This is our hope. This is our assurance. And it's what brings peace in the midst of the world's trials. So what's your problem? All kinds of things. Everybody else and myself. But you know what? In Christ and as I abide in God, loving him for his word, he upholds me. It'd be like if you're a child walking on a, a low ropes course and there's not the rope above you to hold on to, and so you get ready to take your step out onto that first rope. Now, now, I mean, a four by four, that's one thing. That's not too bad. But a rope, that's another thing altogether. And so you put your foot on that rope, quite sure that you're going to fall. You feel the rope start to go back and forth like this. And you know, you're not even going to get your weight on your right foot or left foot, whatever foot you put forward. And you're going to fall. And just as you begin to shift your weight, a hand reaches out and grabs your hand and just says, lean on me. Put all your pressure on me. I got it. I got you. Right? Like the parent, when your child goes to the dentist and you're like, squeeze my hand as hard as you want. Jesus says, put it all on me. All of it. Lean into me with all you got. Take a step. I got you. Take another step. I got you. Isn't it great that God has more than two hands? I just want to ask if you're leaning into the Lord. Are you trying to balance? Because whether you've got a long pole that helps keep your balance or a rope above you that honestly, in my experience, doesn't really seem to do the trick either. The Lord's got you. But you have to lean. Lean on him. Lean into him through his word. God says, go this way. I don't know. Okay, you're not leaning on him. Follow. Believing. This is why the writer of Hebrews goes on to talk about No longer do we have a, need a, a, a day of rest like the Sabbath in the Old Testament. We still need a day of rest for God's pattern of things. That's another sermon, but no longer do we need it in the same way. Now we've entered a, a life of rest. And you walk across that rope, leaning on the Lord, one step at a time. All kinds of chaos around you, all kinds of chaos within one step at a time.